Is there a link between trauma and chronic pain? What is actually going on in the field of physical therapy and how in the world does that relate to mental health? Can you do online or virtual physical therapy? Is that possible? And how do you help somebody settle their nervous system in a remote environment? And if you were to settle somebody's nervous system and teach them these skills along with physical therapy skills and exercises, could somebody learn to start self-healing without very many interventions of surgery and drugs? Is this even possible? Is there medical research out there about these things? And I'm here to tell you that at The Intentional Clinician, we have an excellent guest today. His name is Dr. Brandon Junger, and he's a physical therapist with a doctorate in physical therapy from the University of Michigan. And I'm very excited to have him on the show as he is an innovative and excellent practitioner and has a lot to say about all of these subjects. And especially, I know our listeners are going to be interested in the relationship between trauma and chronic pain. So let me just tell you a little bit about Brandon Junger. In 2012, Dr. Brandon Junger graduated from the University of Michigan, Flint with a doctorate in physical therapy. Shortly thereafter, while working with a local rehab hospital to rehabilitate pediatric chronic pain and head injuries, he developed a taste for neurologically based manual therapies and found excellent results with both children and adults alike. From there, Dr. Junger entered the complicated world of chronic pain. Using a combination of mentoring, intuition, and dumb luck, he has developed a system of rehabilitation that is based on the understanding that we as people are not a collection of individual parts but as one integrated unit of being. He is excited to share his passion through both practice and education. And Brandon is spending his time both in a physical therapy clinic and in his own business called Step Forward Wellness, which we're going to learn all about today. And if you are enjoying the Intentional Clinician podcast, please share this show with somebody you know or subscribe. I would surely appreciate it. My name is Paul Krause, licensed professional counselor, and I'm the host of The Intentional Clinician. Please stay tuned for today's interview. Brandon Younger, welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you on The Intentional Clinician. Thanks for having me, Paul. I'm excited to be here. Yes, I know our listeners are very excited to hear about the relationship between trauma and chronic pain. And I know uh, because you are a physical therapist and because of your credentials, you have a lot to say about that. And also, I want to make sure we touch on the fact that you've now launched a new online business, um, which is also exciting to me. So yeah, I think let's let's dive in uh, to a little bit about how did you start deciding to treat trauma and, and started noticing this link between people with uh, psychological, physical, emotional trauma and chronic pain? Well, I think I kind of fell into it. Um, I started... I started working in chronic pain kind of by accident. I, I got a job at Mary Freebed, which is our local rehabilitation hospital, working with kids with head injuries. Um, and the physicians that were in charge of that program were accepting of alternative type of modalities like craniosacral therapy and acupressure and things like that. A lot of osteopathic manual manipulation um, because they've seen some of the more seasoned 
uh, clinicians in town that have done some of those things have good success where others have failed. Um, so I kind of dove into that right away. And those are considered to be like higher level techniques for physical therapists. And that was something I started like within my first four to six months. And so what I started to see was that there was, um, there's a, a very nonlinear relationship between, um, between pain, um, people's experience of pain and what's happening with their tissues. Uh, so tissues didn't give us a lot of information about pain. You can have, it's the same with, with imaging. Imaging doesn't give us a lot of information. It doesn't really like a degenerative disc disease doesn't really correlate very well with pain because everybody has evidence of degenerative disc disease as they get older. Um, but not everybody has pain. Um, so while I was working there, I had a very interesting client that kind of changed the way that I look at pain. Um, he was, uh, a child of somebody who's very abusive and he had very complicated pains, very difficult to treat. Um, but if we would do the more holistic, uh, whole body nervous system based approach, he would have a lot of pain go down. Uh, it was, it was eye-opening for me. He, uh, he had a lot of abdominal pain and head pain and, uh, both of his legs and stuff like that when I met him. Uh, and after the first session, his mom came back and was like, he pooped three times after the first visit. And I was like, Oh, great. Uh, but then she was like, he poops once a week. <laughs> He's clogging the toilet, uh, a couple of times since we've seen you last. So I was like, okay, something's happening here. And we could basically help like with a treatment from me, he could have no pain except for in his right leg. And it became like this mystery to me. He had, he's diagnosed with complex regional pain syndrome, um, or reflex sympathetic dystrophy, however you want to look or whatever you want to call it. It's had multiple names. So I was like, your dad's a pretty bad guy, right? Um, let's do, let's do a little experiment. Um, and just see what happens with your pain since it was kind of settled down after doing the session and there's the last couple of minutes. So I was like, we got to do a little problem solving, you know, cause we're not really getting anywhere. Uh, and so what I asked him was, is your dad in prison? Cause I kind of assumed that he was for all the things that I had heard about what his dad has done to his family. Uh, and he said, he was like, no. And I said, does he live around here? And he said, yep. And I was like, I want you to pay attention to your pain and think about the fact that your dad is nearby and if he wanted to, he could come find you right now. And then he started panicking and it's like, my pain's going up, my pain's going up, my pain's going up. And I said, ding, I understand this pain thing a lot more now. Um, and you can see how the, the embodiment of that trauma, uh, really changes his pain. Just thinking about the fact that his father is nearby, you know? Um, and so, that just kind of changed how I'm going to look at things like at that up until then I was like, here's structure. And to some degree, here's what, how energy plays into all of this from my exposure to like Chinese medicine and, and acupressure and things like that. Um, and so after that, it was, uh, things kind of opened up for me and I started to, I started to have interesting interactions and, um, meeting new people that kind of seem haphazard, um, but then I started to learn all kinds of new things. And eventually that led me into, um, being trained in the shamanic healing practices of the Cairo people that live in the mountains of Peru. Um, and then that utilizing those has kind of bridged the gap for me to be able to, to do the same work that I'm doing with people with chronic pain virtually instead of in person.
Oh, wow. That's a really a good segue to talk about your, your new business, which is <laughs> based online. And I believe it's kind of a coaching business um, because you do physical therapy by day and by night you're moving into sort of coaching people on how to heal themselves or help their own pain uh, and learning exercises. Is that what I understand? Uh, yeah. You know, one of the things that I'm offering virtually is pain coaching. Um, I'm also offering what I'm calling a nervous system reset, which is essentially um, a distance healing session using some of the shamanic uh, practices that I've learned uh, in, in combination with with meditation. And what I'm finding is that people who engage in that and their pro- when their problems are especially like embodied trauma, we're finding that they get a lot of relief with the treatment and they can progress the exact same as what I'm used to when I see somebody in person. Um, and so that for me is really exciting to be able to reach more people. Um, so I'm offering both of those things virtually right now. One aspect is of course the coaching, what are we going to do? Um, and the other is let me help you feel a little bit better so that you can take that next step, whatever our next step through the coaching process is. Um, That's great. So actually the shamanic healing and meditation stuff is nothing, nothing like that is regulated. So the cool thing about that is you can provide that online uh, to anyone anywhere and be able to help them. And also teaching things is not regulated. So you can teach people about their bodies and all of that. So the really cool thing about this is I think for people that really want to take a next step, um, rather than just going to your uh, regular office that, that you don't even have hands on them. You're teaching them how to deal with their body and their mind and their nervous system, which is really what I thought was the most interesting thing ever. And honestly, when you first told me that you were doing this, I had like no idea. Like, and that's where you're like, Hey, let's try it out. Let's try a sample. And I was then convinced from then on. Um, so I want now for the listeners who are like, what are you guys even talking about? You've mentioned alternative methods, and then they seem to be working with this guy or this child who had chronic pain, right? And and you notice this kind of anecdotally, and then, of course, there's research to back you up now that we're finding it. But you're talking about these things as alternatives. Alternatives to what? What is the standard physical therapy mindset of the American medical system? Generally speaking, and it's trending, in, in my opinion, a very negative direction um, where people are booking multiple clients at one time um, and not really putting their hands on anybody. And there's people who are arguing that manual therapy is is not effective at all with pain. When for me, that's kind of crazy because it's like, if I can if I can use my hands to make a change in a person's physiology, then I should be able to use that information to be able to teach them what they can do for themselves. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of opinion and a lot of it's based in, in the evidence, quote unquote, or lack of evidence, because it's really hard. Our, our standard um, at least in physical medicine is a double blind placebo controlled study. That's how we look at, um, like if, if it passes that, but that's also like, uh, if it passes that, then it's good and gold standard, but that's kind of only available for a pill because if you're taking a pill and you take a different pill and you don't know which pill is what, then we're placebo controlling it. But if somebody's delivering manual therapy, you're not really, uh, blinding that you can't blind anybody to, uh, to if somebody's touching them or not. Um, and so there's not really good research or there's not really good to that standard research available to say like manual therapy does anything. The other thing that happens is, uh, some people are more in touch with what their body is telling them and what their hands are telling them. 
than other people are. And so there's not a lot of inter-rater reliability for manual therapy um, when we've tried to measure like, oh, you, you can feel this piece of tissue through X amount of tissue on top of it. Um, and people are saying, oh, you can't. Like I've had people tell me, you can't do the things that you say you're doing because I have a, a journal article that says that you can't do it. And I'm like, well, everybody's nervous system is different, you know, and there's, you know, if people have gone to like a masseuse, you know, some people, some are better than others. Uh, and there's, there's a reason for that. Um, you know, that just like there's, there's a, a range of, of ability for many, uh, many professions because some people are just better at it, more tuned into it. Um, so, so for the, it, it gets, for me, it gets a little bit frustrating to get into those conversations with people who are saying like, they're saying like, that isn't a good thing because we don't have the appropriate research for it. People aren't doing that much research for physical therapy because it's not really making people that much money and treating chronic pain isn't making people that much money. Um, so, you know, they've, they've certainly done studies on opiates, but look where that got us. Oh, goodness. Okay. So I was just trying to figure out where to circle back on some of this. So essentially uh, there was the, the difficult part about studying this is that every single physical therapist has a different range of ability, obviously. Right. And so then it's difficult to quantify that. Just like in therapy, we say people that see therapists versus not see therapists get better, but it's hard mm -hmm. to identify what physical therapy is actually working versus what is not working because not only are the physical therapists different, but people's reporting is different versus it's easier to figure out that if you take an opiate, you will feel better versus, <laughs> versus not. And we know right now that the state of Oklahoma, other states have been suing the big pharma for uh, billions of dollars, although way less than the money they made killing everybody um, yeah. for, for marketing in the mid-2010s, uh, these fentanyl patches um, where they were saying they were non-addictive and they were a new way of opiate. They were constructed out of opiates, but in a way that won't be addictive. And what happened was almost every situation was the state, uh, like the state of Oklahoma, the one I read the most about, um, figured out that hundreds of thousands, if not more people became addicted to these fentanyl patches. And then almost all of them either went to street drugs or doctor uh, seeking different types and stronger and stronger and stronger opiates and died or ha had to spend a lot of time in rehab, which cost the state and the people millions and millions of dollars in lost people and lost wages. And meanwhile, the pharmaceutical companies made such a huge profit that paying the fine, I believe they had to pay Oklahoma $21, $21 million, I think it that was. doesn't seem like enough. No, it wasn't because they made something like $500 million in sales in Oklahoma and fentanyl patches. So it was a joke. Um, mm. So that's a whole nother problem. <laughs> Could be a whole nother <laughs> podcast. But what I'm hearing also is like, you like putting your hands on people to be able to help them learn hands-on. Um, and then you were saying some of the way it's trending is that they're just doing, they're putting people in a room and what are they doing not putting their hands on them at these clinics? What is that? Well, they're not necessarily putting people in a room. Okay. Okay. They're putting them on exercise machines. Oh, machines! And then they're having, yeah, and okay. then they're having, and then they're having multiple people at the same time, and they're saying well, sometimes machines, but like equipment and like in this big room where there's like a bunch of people around and maybe multiple 
multiple therapists have multiple patients at the same time. And they're saying, now you do this exercise, three sets of 10. And now you do this exercise, three sets of 10. Um, I even was just talking to a colleague who's just here covering for, um, for another clinic or from another clinic. He's talking about people are seeing like four patients at one time, like when, when he first started as a new grad. And so it doesn't even make any sense. Like nobody's getting personalized care. So you're just kind of like, you might as well hand them a sheet of paper and say, go do these exercises. Well, I was going to say, they're probably billing, what are they, they're billing out uh, PT codes to the insurance at what kind of rate? What are we talking? Well, if they, so if you're, if they have somebody who's, like double booking is pretty common. That that quadruple booking, I've never even heard of it, and I guess maybe I'm grateful that I haven't even heard of that. Right, but, but like if you're double booking, it is some, happening. What what's that? Yeah, what's absolutely. going on with the money? Well, they're just you know, if it's a, it depends on what the insurance is. Like a Medicare, Medicaid, you can't do that and bill. Um, so you you have to be one on one to be able to bill that time, okay. unless you're doing like a group setting for the Medicare Medicaid's because Medicare is, tends to be the standard um, for most things. But like the Blue Cross Blue Shields, the more commercial insurances, you can see multiple people at one time. And, and how much bill. are they paying? How much are they paying the company? Or the uh, well, it, it depends. It really depends, right? Okay. Because you know the insurance company seems to to place our value on us. We're, Whatever they've decided that physical therapy is worth, that's right. What but it's I'm worth. saying, what I'm hearing is that it could be a lot of money that they're paying, oh, yeah. and then having four people bill at once to basically sit on an exercise machine, not get the personalized care. Why are yeah. it's almost like why aren't we sending them to the YMCA? It's only ten dollars a class. Like I'm joking, yeah. but like that seems to be that's not treatment. I mean, that's it, as much it, as it I, is. I would it, say. What, I mean, that? that's yeah. I mean, you even though it is a, with the cadence of a joke, like really the joke is, is that we're calling that skilled therapy. Um, because if you think about like blue cross, I think it pays about the same for mental health as it does for physical. So if we're building four units, uh, you're getting like 120, 125 bucks back from blue cross per person. And you're doing that, you know, so what we're going to call that like 500, if you're quadruple booking in that like extreme circumstance for one hour, and then the therapist is going to get paid somewhere in like 30, 20 bucks, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or whatever. They'll get paid oh. like 30 to 40. So uh, if yeah. we wonder what the healthcare problem in the United States is, I've always said it's greed. Um, it's yeah. greed yeah. and a bunch yeah. of people with MBAs running healthcare organizations. Uh, so I yeah, mean, no doubt about that. And then we won't even get into the insurance side of things, which is a whole nother problem. Uh, also greed, Certainly. also wherever they can take a buck, they will. So uh, our healthcare mm -hmm. system does need to be reformed or remodeled. Not sure how to do that, not this podcast. So back to the whole point of this, which is <laughs> it seems like the exercise machine, if I go to a physical therapy office and they put me in an exercise machine, I'm like, no. Like I get it for like people in rehab like that broke their leg that need to like walk on one of those special treadmills that holds you up. That makes sense. But if I just have a problem and I want to learn how to move my leg and you put me on a machine, I doesn't feel very personal to me. And if you've got another person over here, I don't feel very taken care of. And so there is this emotional component to pain that's very large. And you know about it more than anybody because you've got your hands on people and you've been teaching people about their bodies and doing some of these other practices. So what I'm hearing is that your basic, and this is our opinion, but the basic physical therapy in the United States is okay, but possibly lackluster for a client who's really dealing with cr chronic pain or deep, deep, you know, difficult pain. And, and then it's kind of, they're on their own 
hopefully later to rehabilitate themselves by, you know, getting an exercise classes or swimming or something like that on their own after this PT, which may or may not be good. Also could be really good, but it just depends on the luck of the draw of what clinic you walk into is what I'm hearing. Also, there's not really, there is a standard, but the standard doesn't seem to be trending in a, in a good direction from your opinion. I mean, decreased reimbursement is causing people to try to take on more clients so they can make more money and stuff like that. Um, just to make what they're used to making. Uh, so, so, so that's I think the insurance that's, side of things right there. Yeah. They're, they're driving us to give worse care. Um, and it certainly has been a fight with the powers that be, um, to be able to preserve a quality of care model. So um, now going back to trauma, now that's sanctuary mm. trauma. If I go to my therapist <laughs> and they're giving me crappier yeah. care because they're getting paid less by the insurance company, first of all, that's an ethical issue on them. But secondly, yeah. I, as the consumer, could be sanct- having sanctuary trauma. I'm going somewhere to help and I've got this pain and I, I don't feel like I'm being taken care of. That can be another wound to the trauma survivor. So let's talk about trauma and pain. Um, I'm glad you're getting me in on the nitty gritty of what physical therapy is because I actually have no idea really other than like watching videos and hearing you describe it. I haven't actually gone to physical therapy. I never had. I've been to many practitioners. I mean, well, you know, before your demonstration, that was really cool, but I, mm-hmm. I, I had never really gone to one formally. So, um, Let's talk a little bit about, let's dive in more to this relationship now that we know that you were definitely using alternative methods, which were authorized by the doctors in charge of the program at a very renowned rehab hospital. So it seems like they do know that things work that are, quote, alternatives, which sound weird to me, alternatives to crappy care. But Mm -hmm. these doctors, DOs and MDs are saying, hey, Brandon, we really like this stuff. You're helping people get better. Keep doing this, quote, alternative stuff that, quote, is not empirically Mm -hmm. as valid as putting somebody on an exercise machine. So can you tell me more about how that helps people and maybe why? And tell us about it helps people, but also tell me about like this the pain as a signal and, 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 and dealing with this whole trauma situation, like can, for the public, like, you know, for the layman, can you give it to us for the layman like me? Like, I don't know how, I, I know how it works psychologically, but how does it work physically? Um, so talk about how trauma can lead to a chronic pain. Uh, yeah. And then how to help it. Saying? And then the, how to help it. Well, let's go with yeah. first how it, how it happens. Well, so the way we look at it is, is probably like right in your wheelhouse um, is that somebody who's been traumatized and, and we think about it more abstractly because there is plenty of uh, like neuropsychology and neurophysiology to support it. Um, but that's, and that's not even training that we get as, as physical therapists, we, we get neurophysiology, but like the, the trauma component we don't get into. So it's kind of like you start to see from my end, I start to see it over and over again and having my own experiences with my own trauma. I start to see like, Oh, right. I get this. I get what's going on with this person. Um, whereas I don't necessarily have my trauma manifest itself as a painful experience. I can very much see how that happens. But so essentially we're looking at people who, um, have had trauma and then repeated trauma. And what we're, what we're seeing is that they become hypervigilant within self to protect themselves. And so the way that we look at pain is that pain is a signal. It's an output of our brain that signals us, Hey, stop doing what you're doing because you are going to hurt. You're going to get hurt further. This is a dangerous thing that's happening. 
And so that's taking into consideration both what's coming from our body, the signals that our, that our body is reading unconsciously, as well as the environment. So we'll have people that are like, you know, I just don't know. Like sometimes I think it's because I'm standing uh, and I just can't stand so long or I can't sit too long or whatever. Um, but really it might be more of an environmental factor and that where they're trying to be is in a busy environment and just having a busy environment starts to cause the upregulation of the, the sympathetic nervous system. Um, and then the more fight or flight people become, the more that they start to go into their protective patterns, which is, you know, our tight muscles. Like, uh, I'm going to start, like, maybe I'll start to like tilt my head or sit a different way. Or like, maybe I'm like not, not putting my, <laughs> yeah. Like what you're doing right now. I'm moving my <laughs> neck around. So the, no one can see that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Um, so, so essentially it's that, you know, all of a sudden something clicks and we are feeling threatened and now our body is going to tighten up to protect us based in what it's had to do to protect us in the past. So whether that's like, you know, any sort of physical trauma from like a car accident or, you know, you see it a lot with a concussion where somebody is, um, like the position that they were in when they got hit is the position that their body kind of wants to go back to. Um, and so, you know, you think about that's happened to people who've suffered a lot of trauma over and over again. And then we have layer upon layer of protective pattern. Um, and that's what I see when we go through the rehab is that we're kind of like peeling back layers rather than looking at, you know, your neck hurts. Let's talk about the muscles of the neck and the bones of the neck and the ligaments and et cetera. Um, we're more looking at like, like, okay, here's what's happening. And when we can get a little bit more parasympathetic and put a little more rest and digest, um, then here's this pattern. And sometimes people will feel like, oh yeah, I don't feel my neck pain anymore, but now I feel like this thing in my shoulder or I feel this thing in my hip or something like that, because this is just another layer that we have to get through. And that's usually the way that I look at it, but it's hard to sometimes get people to see that because they're like, well, it hurts in my back or it hurts in my neck. So that must be, that must mean there's something wrong in that area. Uh -huh. um, okay. Well, can I interrupt that, for a second? Yeah. Can I interrupt for a second? Yeah, go for so, it. So what I'm hearing, yeah. I've just got it. There's so much information you're giving here, uh, like an encyclopedia yeah. of trauma and PT that I need to like interject. So what I'm hearing just to summarize sure. from the layman, you get me, you let me know is just like psychological trauma which I'm very mm -hmm. attuned with and understanding about how people make patterns and then they have these symptoms of anxiety or depression or PTSD or OCD or these symptoms that kind of come out when they're certain near something that reminds them of the trigger of the trauma, even subconsciously, just like those episodes mm -hmm. I've done on that, you're saying pain can get wired the same way because pain is involved in the nervous system. And so mm -hmm. they they may have nothing structurally wrong with their body and then but the nerves are going ow 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 like pain ouch hurt right and and they may not know why it's triggering so like for instance if they're a more somatically oriented person instead of having anxiety symptoms they may be just having all of a sudden their whole back is clenching up and their back is clenching up uh maybe it's by the environment they're in it's reminding them of something but this is all subconscious. And so you're saying I, it takes people, to, I have a hard time getting some people to see that. So what I think by you mean by see, as I think you mean meta-awareness that somehow mm -hmm. their body's signals of pain are connected to not only their psychology, but their environment and their, and, and certain things that they may not want to think about. 
And if we yes. both remember, one of the biggest symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder in the in the DSM-5 is avoidance. It's one of the most common symptoms. And so if I want to avoid talking about these things that hurt me in my past all the time, I may not be, you might be saying, well, you're Brandon, the PT therapist going, hey, um, yeah, well, it seems like every time your back clenches up, you happen to be in X environment with X person. They're like, oh, no, no, no. Couldn't be that. Couldn't be that. Never that. No way. No. Mm. Because they, because think about that. Subconsciously, they might not even know you're right because their trauma yeah. is causing them to avoid that. And the trauma, again, trauma is something that happens to us. It overwhelms the nervous system's ability to cope. But then it creates, when, I mean, when I'm talking about trauma in this context, it's about the results of trauma, how trauma continues to manifest in the present moment, in my life. And it happens both psychologically, but also physically. And also it sometimes subconsciously alters my behavior about where I want to go, who I want to see, what I want to do. It may be, it may be subconsciously altering the way I spend money. It may subconsciously alter the way I, I think about spirituality or even topics in the news or uh, books I read. Or, and then here we go back to you. Now you're seeing it firsthand. It's mm -hmm. altering the way people's bodies seem to operate. Yet the person mm -hmm. is still going mm -hmm. in our Western society. We don't see things as connected. Well, we should, but we, we haven't for many years. And that's, what's been propagated in the last couple hundred years is that we're the conquerors. Everything's separate. You know, uh, your body <sighs> is not your mind. Your mind is not your body, even though our mind literally goes through nervous system pathways all over our entire body. There's nerve endings everywhere. That's actually your brain, by the way. It's all throughout your body. <laughs> there mm -hmm. are more serotonin receptors in your stomach than there are in your brain, which is a whole nother topic that mm -hmm. like science books still need to get updated because the neuro... If people are wondering what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the science of interpersonal neurobiology, uh, neurobiology, neurological studies that were, are coming out that are just amazing that are just revolutionizing the way we think about things and our old theories were stupid and that's why well they're stupid because we didn't have the scientific method telling us so we made stuff up and now the scientific method is telling us that's wrong keep evolving keep evolving so what we're what we're finding out is our mind and body are not separate at all they're one and therefore just because most people that report to me they have trauma have all these psychological symptoms, a lot of people may not know they have trauma, A. B, if they have trauma, they put it in the past. It's been the past. I don't want to think about it. But all of a sudden, their body is having symptoms. They may not be coming to me, the therapist or the psychotherapist, and saying, oh, I have these intrusive thoughts. They may have no intrusive thoughts. They may have an intrusive body pattern, is what you're telling me, or a pain pattern. Is that what you're kind of getting to? Uh, yeah, I think that... That's not not necessarily how I would have described it because of just the direction that you're coming from, but I think it's an accurate way to to phrase all of this because um, it's just yeah they're they've been triggered for whatever reason and their body and their body shows it um, and most of the time I'm seeing people that are pretty perpetually triggered you know and you can kind of like gauge that pretty linearly with so when how we say triggered we mean that they're dysregulated their autonomic nervous system yeah. is somewhat dysregulated uh, most likely into fight flight freeze and for most people that makes them more vigilant although some people shut down and become more disconnected and there's yeah. other ways but you're saying then you're seeing these people they may not be even aware that they're triggered but they're complaining of chronic pain yeah yeah. Most of the time, I don't think that they know that they're triggered. It's a lot easier when somebody's like, yeah, you know, my anxiety, if somebody realizes that their pain gets worse when their anxiety goes up, then we're 
going to be pretty good because they say, well, obviously we can't ignore that. So we need to be talking about like, what can you do to regulate your nervous system independently? Uh, and then that gets into mindfulness and meditation and all that kind of stuff. And just being able to like control your own state uh, as best you can and see what's, and then tune in more to the unconsciousness of, of how this is all playing out for you. Okay. So let's just talk about getting more into your wheelhouse. Mm. So let's just say you have somebody in there, they've got chronic pain and you do all this imaging and you do all this palpation and you're like, yeah, your spinal cord and your muscles are just fine. And there's no degeneration other than normal degeneration. How do you then go about helping them? Let's talk about the office first. And then let's talk about how you're doing it now with this online coaching stuff. So Mm -hmm. how do you then help that person both physically and also with their mental awareness. Let's start with physically. So somebody's in there, you've done all these tests, you've done all these moves, you move their knee, their knee can move, their hip can move. It's actually something going on psychologically, you've determined. What 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 happens next? Yeah. And so so for the most part, you know, we we always have to be talking about that psychologic the if it's in my head, it's like, oh, this this person is suffering the the manifestations of embodied trauma. Um I'm going to have to be talking to them the language that they understand and link it back to the nervous system. So it's usually a gradual education on how how our uh, autonomic nervous system works and telling and then bridging the gap of like here's what your pattern is, right? Your body's trying to protect you and it's gotten way too good at protecting you and that's why this gets so much louder um than than is proportional based on whatever's going on in your imaging. And side note, when we're talking about imaging, MRIs are very sensitive and they can pick up a lot of things. And so a lot of people are like, especially if they want to avoid, right? They don't want to talk about whatever this trauma is. And they have something on their imaging, even if their doctor has said, this looks normal, but they're like, let me read it though. The patient will say, I read it and I saw that there's degenerative disc, even if it's mild at these levels and that's where I hurt. And so that's got to be it. This doctor just doesn't want to take care of me because that's, um, I forgot what you had just said, but this like systematic trauma that we put, we put people through as part of our system that's focused on money, um, will start to, uh, people are like, well, I just don't trust this person because they popped in, popped out. They didn't even take any time to understand what's going on. And I know that there's something wrong with me. And what I try, the, the perspective that I try to take with these people is I believe that there's something wrong, but we need to be a little bit more um, fastidious about like, how are we going about figuring out what that is? Because your imaging might not be accurate. There's a study and it's names I can't pronounce right now. They studied about 3000 people who aren't in pain and looked at their MRIs. And the older you get, the more you get degenerative disc disease, the more you get bulging discs, the more you get spinal stenosis. Um, And these are like the main things that go into people's spine pain. They're like, well, I've got stenosis. I've got bulging disc. I've got degenerative disc disease, which sounds very scary, but is not, it's totally normal. Um, so I try to direct people to that. It's like, so if, if these people, there's thousands of people have this stuff going on on their MRI and don't have pain, then surely we can't say that this is a cause of pain. Maybe it could be in some circumstances, but it's definitely not across the board. It's not cor- linearly correlated. It's poorly correlated to pain. Uh, yeah, so we're seeing that there's a poor correlation between uh, imaging results and pain, especially when it comes to um, 
like stenosis and degenerative disc disease and bulging discs and all that kind of stuff. But those are very tangible things that people can like hang their head on. Look, I have this thing. This is what's wrong with my body. Let me find out the person who's going to fix my body. And then you're going to start finding people are like, oh yeah, I know what to do about that. You know, there's all kinds of different, like you can have surgeries, you can have injections, you can have uh, the McKenzie method is the, the most commonly, um, use technique and physical therapy that's supposed to put your discs back in place and stuff like that. So, uh, but it's also not super effective. Like, I mean, a McKenzie therapist that's listening to this is probably not going to agree with me, but I see, I see people that's usually the first round of physical therapy that they get for their spine is the McKenzie method, which is totally hands off and it's just repeated motion and stuff like that. So it's essentially like, I feel better when I move this way. So I'm just going to move that way. A bunch of times and then i'll feel better eventually and if that works that's fantastic but i'm not seeing the people who that works for okay so you were talking about these these uh the fact that people are like unconvinced that there could be something psychologically or mentally going on with their pattern of pain and thus yeah. keep looking at their own mris looking for structural damage and actually there's a lot of data on this um mm. i went to a presentation uh by a man named um Douglas Gufrida, and he's been mm -hmm. carrying on the work of Dr. John Sarno, MD. Mm -hmm. And Dr. John Sarno, MD, was a really good researcher, and he researched chronic pain for years and with uh, with imaging. And he was talking about the ineffectiveness of back surgery. It's called failed back surgery syndrome. And they did yeah, this... Yeah, post-laminectomy syndrome. Yeah, they did this huge study, and um, basically, the surgery group, the people that have surgery on their back, and multiple surgeries often, we're, mm. we're only 27% likely to return to work post-surgery. And the non-surgery group that went through PT and um, like different mind-body techniques were 67% were, were likely to go. And that was like a five or 10-year study. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, I, certainly, and, I certainly see that day in and, and day out. Yeah, and then also the placebo. Like a lot of people, like they, they there was this, there's a study done in Harvard where they, they did fake knee surgery on people. They paid them mm -hmm. for this. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, I was like, so, so many people got the real knee surgery and other people just got an incision and then they got mm -hmm. sewed up and they were no, there was no knee surgery. And the people that just got the incision, like it was like 75% of them were like back to almost normal functioning within six months where the people that actually got the knee surgery and got these replacements were, uh, were out of commission for so long. And I don't have all the stats on that, but it was like overwhelmingly, it wasn't even a close study. And this was by Harvard on um, their placebos. Mm -hmm. They have a whole study of placebo there at Harvard. And the reason, one of the theories was that a lot of these old folks that were having this knee pain, it was because they were sitting around all day. And then when they got up mm -hmm. to use their knees, it was like painful. They hadn't been using them. And so then they just got worse and worse and worse and used it less and less and less and relied more and more on a cane. And the next thing you know, everything hurt whenever they moved versus the other group they were the same situation but when they got the fake knee surgery they like they were like all right ready to go you know they did the pt oh that's right they both got rounds of pt afterwards then they both got the same amount of pt post fake surgery or real surgery well with the fake surgery they all thought they had real surgery so they're all like gung-ho like let's get through this let's do this and then um, one of my one of my friends who's in medicine says motion is lotion to to the, to mm -hmm. your to your um to your body so 
uh, essentially they these people that were going through the PT after the fake knee surgery also were returning to full functioning because it was because they hadn't been utilizing it or utilizing it correctly. And the PT helped them use their knees correctly. And the people that had the surgery, they had all these, you know, I don't know, you're you're the expert on this, but they had like uh, scar tissue and swollen issues. Um, I've also heard uh, anecdotally in the therapy world, there's often people that have major trauma and they end up having surgery after surgery after surgery after surgery on multiple different things. And I, I recently, it, it just occurred to me, like I can't remember, somebody was telling me about this person they talked to who said they had had like four surgeries on their back and they like are uh, like somewhat immobilized because of this. And then they've realized that most of their pain probably was due to their abusive childhood. And so I don't know. I mean, obviously this stuff is still, uh, the stuff we're talking about is still being studied and it's, it's early. Like Dr. John Sarno was probably the earliest. He was like in the eighties or nineties. Um, but you're, you know, we're seeing this anecdotally all over and, and, uh, and not just in the, um, in the alternative community, but in the mainstream community, it just depends on who's funding you, I think is what it seems like. It seems like what's your, are you looking at the big picture or are you just trying to prove this treatment works so you can pass this and get this and reimbursed by insurance? It's kind of like you're talking about, you talk about systems trauma. Systems trauma is similar to sanctuary trauma. Sanctuary trauma is I'm going somewhere for help and I get worse or I get Mm -hmm. hurt worse or I get damaged or taken advantage of Mm -hmm. it. And systems trauma there's so much to that. I have a whole episode on systems trauma mm-hmm. uh, and uh, with Morgan Vanderpool. I can't remember what number it is, but check it out. Um, look up Morgan Vanderpool, intentional clinician. You can listen to systems trauma and that's about all the systems in our current uh, uh, society. But medical systems being one of them is that if medical systems are geared to make the most profit, not wages and rent profit, which is the Everyone does. Most Americans don't know what profit is because they don't own their own business. Profit is what you take home in addition to everyone's been paid, all the lights have been paid, everything's been paid off, all the taxes have been paid, and then profit is this thick, you know, cream on the top of that, and that's which co- goes home um, later. So, well, if medical systems are geared towards a maximum profit, they're going to cut costs, and costs. If you cut a cost, you usually cut quality. And if you cut quality, then the people that are in the system, they they may. And if you're cutting it everywhere, they might not know any better because they're using their insurance. They don't they don't have the funds to go pay a private practitioner out of pocket, somebody who's a really good expert, and they won't notice the difference. So anyway, I got on a huge bunny trail about the trauma part, but yeah. I, I I wanted to g- give it back to you to talk about. Um, you're saying like you almost have to convince people to engage in this sort of physical therapy because they're convinced that these MRIs with a little bit of degeneration in their disc is the pain versus when after you've done all these testing in person yourself, you don't see it. So I want to talk about a little bit about how people can get better um, with both the regular PT and alternative PT that you're doing in, in on hands, hands on, but also online. So let's can we start a little bit how, how people how do people get better from this? Yeah. Well, one thing that I wanted to touch on was that, um, you know, it's really, it's really quite easy to get people to engage in the therapy that I'm doing to at least say, yes, I'm going to take part in it because they feel better when we're done. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the, the long term is the understanding why they're here in the first place. That's the part that gets harder. And my strategy is typically wait. I'm just going to keep on doing the work. And as we get through the layers, it starts to show up. 
and it shows up in the forms of memories and emotions. Usually what I see happen is the pain is getting better, but the emotions are getting stronger. Um, and so that's, and that's, that's where we bridge the gap to you guys, you know, it's like, Oh, well now it's natural progression. Now you need to follow that. Right. So kind of um, like an onion being so, peeled back as their pain gets better by going through all these exercises, things you do, all of a sudden you're noticing yeah. instead of them being a flat affect or kind of quiet and, or whatever, mm -hmm. they start to be more and more emotional and they're noticing more and more yeah. emotional symptoms. Okay. Keep yeah. going. And then you send yeah. them to me is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So we were going to talk about like just what the process looks like. Is that correct? Yeah. The like process of, of, of kind of getting better hands-on, but then I want to know the process of what you're doing now with your new system, yeah, with your yeah, new uh, yeah. adventure. So what I would love to have everybody doing who's a physical therapist that's treating chronic pain is to have just, you have to start with the, the change in mindset and framework because all too often we're looking at the part that hurts. Um, and so if we, if we stay stuck looking at the part that hurts or insurance is willing to pay for one joint above one joint below. And when we're doing that, um, we might miss the whole thing. Like I've had to do a, a pelvic diaphragm release on somebody to help their hand pain go away. Um, so, you know, it's just because we're all intertwined with our, our nervous system is everywhere. So it just depends on what's going on and where. So, but the whole, the whole framework, the way that I look at it is we need to help somebody learn to calm their nervous system first. So like I'll do the evaluation. We'll talk about what's going on. And the very first thing it, that is going to tell me what's going on with this person is how their pain behaves. If there is a very simple, uh, it's a very simple formula. If your pain comes on sometimes and you're not moving, you're probably talking about like a nervous system based pain. If it comes up, if it goes up with anxiety, you're definitely talking about your nervous system. If it only, when I do this, when I like move my arm this way, or like I stand on this leg, that's the only time it hurts. Maybe we're talking more about a musculoskeletal orthopedic condition. Um, and then time will tell with that one. But so talking to somebody about what their experience has been with their pain usually tells me everything that I need to know about the direction that we're going to travel. And I, honestly, like I've, I've gotten into a niche so far, you know, I'm just seeing the people who have failed everything else. So I'm seeing people who nobody's ever thought about how their emotional body is playing into this stuff or how the old trauma is playing into it. So I'm, I tend to be doing a lot of that every single day. That's so because the, people the, have basically uh, pinned you as the therapist that helps people if no one else can help them physically, physical therapist. Yeah. That's, you know, that's kind of the <laughs> role, uh, that I've fallen into. And I'm also happy to do it because it's interesting to me. Um, and I like a challenge. And so, uh, so the more challenging, the better, if you ask me now, because things that used to be a challenge tend to not be a challenge any longer because, you know, you see it enough times and you figure it out. And a lot of it's just being patient too, because sometimes we'll get into this habit of like, well, let me do this modality to you. Did that feel better? Okay. If that felt better, then I'm going to continue down that path. And then I'm going to try this and that, and that's the tissue that we need to work on or whatever it might be. But I think that we need to like, mm -hmm. as physical therapists, like take a second like really understand where that person's coming from that day. Like, are they desperate for an answer? And they're just saying they feel a little bit better. They're like, yes, now maybe we're on. They're looking for some amount of hope because we have to be like realistic about like, did what I, what I just did, if it was a, if it was a tissue lesion, should that have worked physiologically? 
or is it more about just the interpersonal connection that you share with somebody? Because sometimes you might not have to do that much with your hands. And it's just like being in the presence and helping your nervous system calm down just by feeling safe with the person can be all that it takes to help somebody feel better and not have as much pain. So you're um, talking about uh, ha- uh, multiple things here, but you're talking about how just having your nervous system be on fight, flight, freeze, or high alert uh, can actually cause pain itself. Is that because, what is that? Why? Do you know why that is? I'm just curious. Yeah. The way we look at it, and I think I started to talk about this earlier, um, was it, it comes down to the the perception of threat, right? So pain, if pain's an output of our brain, like it, it's all processed unconsciously and based on our past experience with trauma and with threat, we've had, we've had an, enough of the experience from our body and the environment are starting to re to feed into those. We're like, we're getting reminded, we're getting reminded of the times that things have been dangerous before that's usually, and then we start to get more fight or flight, right? We go up a little bit and get more sympathetic. Um, and then you, you, we use the analogy of the bucket, the bucket overflows. And now you feel pain because there's always some amount of like stress in our lives, but once it gets to be too much now, here we are, now we're in our, now we're in our pain pattern again. Um, so that's, that's the way that I look at it. And that's the way that we treat it too, is by teaching somebody to turn that volume back down. What can you do, whether it's lifestyle changes and mindfulness. Um, and I teach a lot of meditation just to be able to like calm your nervous system, get to know what it's like to feel calm. Um, and then I want you to practice that throughout the day. The more you practice being calm, the more it becomes neuroplastic and it can be your new normal. And there's obviously more complicated than just that, but that's the, that's the strategy is figure out how to get somebody to do it themselves and then teach them to do it enough times and frequently enough to where their body starts to take it on. And they start to catch themselves not being fight or flight and being more relaxed and being in less pain. Okay. Excellent. I've got a few questions about one thing before we get to your current business, what you're doing Mm -hmm. now. Um, Mm -hmm. I, so you were talking about one joint below one joint above. It almost seems Mm -hmm. like whoever wrote these rules never went to medical school. Like it seems like they're an actuary somewhere in a building sitting there writing codes because they're based on like, well, here's a bone we should. So, okay. So here's the deal. So I've, I, I've gone to chiropractors and um, different people because when I, when I was 17 or 16, I can't remember, I decided I was a really awesome rollerblader and skateboarder. Now, I was. You're aggressive skating? I, I, I got, yes, except the one time I went on a half pipe uh, I yeah. didn't, I was unprepared. Okay. Because I had, yeah. you know, street uh-huh. s- jumping your skateboard or roller blades and doing some jump tricks and flipping some things on a sidewalk or not a sidewalk. Cause there's grates, but on a, on the pavement is not so hard when you're only two feet above the ground. But when you decide to go on a half pipe, it's a real another, it's another thing. If you don't know what a half pipe is, Google it. Half pipe is a, it looks like a, somebody cut a pipe in half, except it's like 20 feet across and you put your skateboard or rollerblades in and you dive in and you do all these tricks. So I did that without wrist pads, which was really a bad choice. And I landed probably five or 10 feet in the air, not probably five feet in the air on my left wrist. And mm-hmm. I went to a doctor uh, who basically seemed like he was phoning it in. He's like, oh, yeah, well, you have some tissue inflammation due to the stretching of your wrist or whatever. And then he's like, here. And he just put me in this. There was no, um, he, he couldn't detect by the imaging. There was no bone breaking. He just saw a lot of swelling. So he just threw my wrist and my arm in a, in a frigging cast mm-hmm. for like four weeks just to set it. Cause I was in pain all the time. 
And I was like, and I went back to him and I was like, okay, like now what? Cause I just, you got this off and now my arm is like so weak and small and I can barely move my wrist cause I haven't moved it in four weeks. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, well just use it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but it still hurts and it still feels like something's off, you know, like yeah. what? And he's like, oh yeah, you'll be fine. And I was like, what the <laughs> hell? So early out of my life, I'm thinking this is bullshit. So yeah. then I, I went to, uh, I went to a chiropractor who my, my, uh, knew through a friend, I was 17. My parents brought me to him and, uh, he was like, Oh, let me see your wrist. And he like did his, he did an imaging on it. He looked mm-hmm. at my x-rays and he did something else. And then he took his little activator and he mm-hmm. went click once on this part of my wrist. And he goes, your wrist was out. I go, what do you mean? My wrist mm-hmm. was out. He goes, well, it wasn't out of joint, but it was out of alignment. And I was like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And he goes like, move it now. And I was like, oh my gosh, it feels so much better, but it feels like it hasn't been like, I I had this feeling that it hadn't been right for a long time. And now when I, if you go, if you see on my wrist, now you can't really see it. You have to touch it and feel it. But my Mm -hmm. right wrist is perfectly formed when I move it forward. Mm -hmm. But my left wrist has a little bit of a bump. And Mm -hmm. we figured out later that some of the tissue must've torn, but it was so Uh micro, it was a micro tear. So that mm. my one of my bones or joints sort of sticks out here. It doesn't bother me anymore because with strength and going to making sure I go to the chiropractor, mm. uh, I, I went to him every week for a while. And then eventually I just went to him every six months. If it came out, he would put it back in. And then eventually my, mm. my arm got strong enough. So I, I was like, I mean, I went to a doctor. They did nothing for me. And my arm got worse, except it stopped swelling. Mm. But I guess it would have stopped swelling anyway. So then I, w- I went to these quote alternative people, these chiropractors. And he fixes it in two minutes after looking at my imaging. And I'm thinking, why isn't this the standard of care? What what in the world, like as a young person? So I was like, wow, right there. I just all of a sudden started trusting chiropractors. I was like, wow, if I have a problem, I'm going to go to a chiropractor as long as I do imaging. Because I've also heard horror stories of chiropractors who think they're like some cowboy, cowgirl type person. Like, oh, I'll just crack your back. And without looking at an x-ray, it's a bad choice. But they have you sign a disclaimer. But anyway, so I know there's some chiropractors out there that are terrible. But let's let's look at the let's look at the track record. You know, you have if you're going to go anywhere, please do your homework and make sure they do imaging. But um, or at least know how to like figure out if you have a a, a problem structurally. <laughs> so this guy did, and he he fixed me, and I I've been so forever grateful for that. And I, I guess another thing was. You were talking about how they like wanted you to CPT codes for billing insurance have to do with certain joints. And something happened to me when I was in my 30, uh, 20s. I was working at the social service agency and I had to type like 20 reports a week. My thumbs went numb and I thought something was wrong with my hands. So I went to the doctor and they touched my hands, PCP, primary, and like, and they did an x ray on my wrists and they said, no, your arms and hands are fine. And, and and I go, he goes, well, what are you doing with him? I said, well, I type a lot. And he's like, well, just stop typing so much. I was like, I can't stop typing so much. It's my job, right? So then I went to this, I went to, uh, who did I go to? Some sort of old school osteopath that would probably be banned today. He was this old dude. And he was like, yeah, I do manual o- OT therapy. Let me look at your arms or whatever. He's like, he's like, this isn't your arms. He's like, your nerve is pinched in your back. I was like, what nerve? He's like, the nerve that runs down to your thumbs. That's why your thumbs are going numb. So he did something to my back, very minor, and taught me three stretches. Mm-hmm. I've never had my thumbs go numb again. 
And then he said, buy this keyboard, which is an ergonomic keyboard for my hands. And he said, take stretch breaks. Okay, after six months of misery and seeing this doctor take a stupid x-ray of my wrist and tell me to stop typing, this old school osteopathic dude fixes me by teaching me how to stretch and telling me that a nerve was pinched to my back. I mean, so there are some stories for you. So can you tell me why this is alternative is it because um, it takes thought? I, like what? Why? I think it's because of just like this, the system is, is what it always comes back down to. Cause they're not teaching, they're not teaching DOs to be that classic DO any longer. Um, depending who, depending on who you're talking to, we're talking about like uh physical therapists uh, are the ones continuing the osteopathic manual manipulation um, through that's, it's so much less the DOs now and it's more the people who actually have time to put their hands on people. So that's something that I found early on was really valuable as I've been trained in all, all varieties of osteopathic manual manipulation. And it's super, super effective. And a lot of it's based in like affecting our reflexes and our nervous system. Um, so we can, we can regain a more normal homeostasis, um, our body's natural balance. So I think it's, I think it's just because it, it makes less money because you take time with people and you like, understand what's going on with them. Um, and then you actually do some healing work so they, they don't actually have their problem anymore. So if, if that's the case, I would love to have PTs get paid more to help people heal. And we could just get a robot at a hospital. You stick your arm in there and see if it's broken. I mean, come on. Like, that's what it felt like to me. Anyway. Yeah. Our PCPs tend to not know as much about, um, musculoskeletal and neuromuscular, uh, type stuff. So that's usually like, that's usually the PTs that, that are doing that. Unless you do have like a, a good, I started bumping my thing again. The, the, you have a good neuromuscular medicine, uh, person who's actually like a skilled DO. I'm trying to think of anybody else. And then, and then there's lots of chiropractors and stuff that, that can do some of that work too. You even see some massage therapists that are learning how to do it. So like the, the techniques still exist. You just don't get them from your primary care any longer. Right. And so they're kind of just checking to make sure you're not injured, but you're not getting the healing work. And I think the trouble with systems trauma is that people are expecting to be healed by their doctor when their doctor is just trying to make sure you're not dead. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so you have to do go beyond the formula to. So I hear you do a lot of this stuff. So let's talk about let's talk about your your perspective on how you're doing these new things that you've been learning to do virtually and in person. Mm -hmm. I know you do both, but can you just tell us about how you're getting into that? How are you helping people heal? Because I know that you still do the physical therapy part-time in an office, but I want to know just more about how you're how you see your healing work going. And I know you're doing so many things. So just tell us about Brandon. Yeah. So to gain a little, I think it's easier if we gain a little bit of perspective on the like the body and how that works. So if you think about I don't, most people don't know what proprioception is. Proprioception is how our brain knows where our body is in space. We have proprioceptors all over our body that are can sense uh, stretch and they can sense um, vibration and pressure and whatever else. Um, and so what I, my personal opinion is that a lot of these chronic pain conditions are proprioceptive awareness conditions. Um, and so what I'm doing is utilizing needling. So I do a lot of dry needling uh, for, um, it's a constant proprioceptive input. You put it in a person's body. Now the brain knows where that part of the body is. It doesn't have an option because there's a piece of metal sticking in it. Um, 
And so once we start doing that, then we can usually get a little bit more release because I'm sure you're plenty familiar with how guarded people can be when, especially when there's something like deeply held inside of them, um, even just not trusting a person that they've just met. Um, so we can kind of bypass that guarding and they start to feel more relaxed and then I can get more change in their tissues. Uh, and yeah. And so we'll, we'll get that going. I'll do, I usually do some needling with some craniosacral therapy when somebody's in front of me and then we do as much work as we can that day. And then based on whatever I can tell about which part of their body, they don't have as much awareness of, then I'll usually give them an exercise to, to help them gain some awareness and then we'll see them next week. And usually they're saying something new and we'll have to do the process again, peel that onion back. So that's, like I said, that's in person. And what I found is once, once COVID came around and we were kind of mandatory, it was mandated to do telehealth, at least most people didn't want to go out anywhere. I was like, well, let's see how it goes because I don't believe that I need to use my hands on a person, but I do need to be aware of them and like, I find that if we can do some work energetically with a person, that that alters their nervous system. And then once you can alter their nervous system, that's going to alter their, their muscular tone. And when the muscular tone is altered, then that's going to affect how their, their joints are positioned and their bones are positioned because the muscles, the bones do what the muscles say, the muscles do what the nerves say. Um, and my experience shows that like our energeticness will affect our nervous system. So that brings us to what am I doing with my, with my new practice and how am I going to be doing PT virtually? What I find is that if I can do energy work and it's, it's definitely able to be done at a distance, um, that I can help people achieve. It's through doing that work as well as guiding somebody through how to meditate, um, and, and staying connected with them so that I can be aware of what the next step needs to be in their meditation for them to bring their attention to a certain area or whatever it might be. There's so many different possibilities um, that by the time we're done, I'm finding consistently, like I was nervous at the beginning of COVID, but I'm finding consistently that people are having the exact same experiences um, at distance over Zoom uh, on a on a speakerphone call with me as they would in in my office on the table in front of me, it's just requires more of them to be involved in it. Cause if I put a needle in somebody, all of the, the effort that they need to put into it kind of goes away. So it makes it a lot easier because I I'm doing it for them. And so, so one of the problems that any physical therapist will tell you about is people don't want to do their stuff at home. So I'm really excited about doing things virtually because we're doing it at home. They don't have any excuse. I'm teaching them how to do it at home in their home. Um, and so once the nervous system's calmed down and settled, then it's the same thing. I just give them some exercises to do to help gain some more awareness of their body or, or help them assess their own body so that they can um, help bring themselves into a more neutral, more aligned position um, that, that feels better. Um, and then they can learn how to, then I teach them, here's what you can do to hold your body in a certain way. Um, that's going to be helpful for you to be able to sit and to stand and to walk and whatever else their goal might be. And once somebody can do those things, then it's basically regular physical therapy. You got to do some stretches, maybe some strengthening. Um, but most of the time people don't even get to that place. Cause I've been seeing people who are in pain for decades. And so just not having pain or even having a technique that can help them uh, decrease pain. Sometimes this is all that they want. They're like, Oh my God, I thought that this was, how I was going to be forever. 
Um, so just helping them, you you facilitate their tissues relaxing via audio, talking, and mm-hmm. teaching them how to self-regulate their own nervous system. Yeah. And then from them regulating that, you saying the muscles do what the nerves say. So then mm-hmm. are the are the nerves are the nervous system calming down, helping the muscles relax, and thus the joints relax. So maybe they didn't even realize how tense they were. So I think if, if anyone ever if anyone's ever had a massage that was actually really good, um, if you if you notice after the massage, I notice this, and if I have a really good massage, I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize how tense my back was mm-hmm. at all. And then I get out of here and I'm like moving my head freely. I feel more relaxed, right? Or if you've ever done a meditation that went really well and you really got into it, I remember feeling just like, ah, oh, a whole different sense in my body after the meditation mm-hmm. that I didn't know. But it's it's hard to do on our own sometimes, which is why I th- mm-hmm. feel like you have developed this ability to facilitate Mm-hmm. And then, of course, just teaching people about their body, where the awareness is, doing some stretches. I mean, it's just pure education, but it's like it's opening up possibilities because we're all stuck in not only these pain patterns, these chronic pain patterns, and the, but we're stuck in psychological patterns. We're stuck in behavior patterns. We're stuck in environmental mm-hmm. patterns that we aren't even maybe aware of. So you're helping in these sessions bring them out of their normal daily life, daily thought pattern by using different techniques which you speak and do audio and do different meditations. Mm-hmm. And then you're focusing on the body with those is what I'm, is that what I'm gathering? Yeah, it really, it seems to bring them to their body. Um, right. And so, and our body has a lot of wisdom and a lot of information to give us. Um, that's the other thing that we'll talk about with pain is that this pain is information, you know, and if it's not, if our tissues aren't damaged, you know, then what is the information? And we have to be able to listen to it. And most of the time we get too panicky because we're in pain to, and we don't understand what pain even is, um, that we, that we just don't hear the information. And I think that that's really important because our body, our body has a lot to show us the unconscious part of us. I mean, most of our nervous system is unconscious, right? It's just that, that little bit on the end, the neocortex, that's, that's more of our logic and and planning centers. Um, and so I, f- I find that beyond beyond any sort of like um, when we start talking about like spiritual things, I think that being able to be connected with our body is really you know alignment of the mind, body, and spirit. Um, and then that's something that we once once we can have that, then so many things start to change and so many things start to open up for us within our life. Um, and those are the things that are really exciting to be able to watch happen with people. They they come in and they're like I hurt. And then they sometimes they're just finding their purpose, you know, like their pain was to guide them to what they're here to do with their life. Or, you know, sometimes it directs them to like, I got to change this relationship or, um, you know, whatever it might be, or just here's this, here's this trauma that I have not even remembered ever before. And that's, what's driving all this stuff. So there's a lot of different possibilities that, that happen for people. And it's always for me, like, I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, I, people just get better and they get better in their own ways. And it's always really interesting to be able to see that. Yeah, that is great. It sounds like you're trying to bring people to a holistic sense of themselves. And we live in a culture that if you are anywhere near the mainstream culture, meaning that you're connected to the internet, television, society, having to make money, and you're not like living somewhere on a farm that is uh, doing sustainable agriculture. If you're not doing that and you're, and you're sort of in, in, in the norm, somewhat of a norm, 
of the U.S., we're in a society that fragments us, that pulls us apart, that tells us what our agenda should be, that tells us what our purpose should be, that tells us what where we should spend our money, to tells us how much we should sleep or not sleep and what to eat and what not to eat. We're constantly getting messaged. And, and that's confusing, I think, to people that don't have a strong practice of centering themselves spiritually, mentally, physically. And so, and, and even among the therapy community, a lot of therapists do meditate and go on nature walks and these sort of things. And, but, you know, some therapists do that and then they don't exercise, right? And they're just like mm. getting larger and larger and feeling more and more ill. And, and, uh, and I'm not, this is not at all to shame any of that. I just see it as a, as a part of our, uh, I, you know, a, a part of our, difficulties managing in, in a society, you know, um, and, or perhaps they exercise all the time, but they're not meditating and they're getting more and more stressed out and snapping at people. And these are, these are professionals, right? So how much work is it to take care of ourselves in a, in, in, in a, in a culture that's so, uh, on fire and rapid fire. And, and so we have to be able to figure out wh- where is our engagement in this? How much yeah, am I it, wanting to engage in this money race, this this society uh, sort of brings you into? And how much am I wanting to make my life about what's important to me? And a, a lot of young people have, well, everybody, but a lot of young people have these identity crises. And I believe the identity crisis is about what game am I wanting to play here? Am I wanting to play and try to achieve and get some sort of linear progress quote unquote by, by what's accepted around me or am i trying to make my life and the, my family or whoever is dear to me or my my friends um uh, benefit from uh, my own practice and the hard part is i think a lot of people don't have a guide there who there's not many in our society there's not many guiding individuals or organizations that focus on personal development as a mainstream thing that's why people come to therapists, they come to physical therapists, they go to the doctor. We're always, people are feeling terrible right now. So uh, what, are, what are some comments that you have about, you know, kind of empowering your clients, you know, based anything I said, but my idea was how you kind of empower them to go further than just therapy. And that's kind of my goal as a therapist is like, hey, like I'm a lily pad on your journey across this lake. Like, I want to help you, but eventually I want you just to kind of check in and send me a postcard and send me an email once a year and tell me all this awesome stuff you're doing because you've developed your practice. You found your place in the world. And if you find yourself displaced, feel free to come back. But my goal is to help you move on and be who you want to be. And if you're chronically in pain from trauma and emotional distress, like goodness, how how hard is that to then figure out what do I want to do with my life? What do I want to do with my life? I can't get out of bed. What do I want to do with my life? I can't even walk down the street without being in pain. So what a, what an inhibitive factor that is. So can you just, what are your comments on any of that? Well, the first thing that I'm thinking is part of, part of the initial first steps that people can't do is tends to be societal because, well, what am I going to sacrifice to be able to take care of myself? And I can't sacrifice all these things because the life that I've chosen for myself or that feels like it's the right thing that I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and so then, the very first step just to be able to to put a time in their day where you they can take care of themselves is is at least a first step in in being able to appraise what their life even is um and so that could be a big hurdle um and, and then in terms of 
of I think the lily pad is a great way to say it. Like that's what I'm looking to do too. Like for now, when you're, especially when you're in crisis, we're going to gradually guide you out of crisis. Um, and then, then we can start to ask that questions. Okay. Now that you feel okay, what do you want to do with this, this body of yours? You know? Um, and that's usually a question that we'll start to ask after, like after they start to feel better. It's like, so what else do you want to do? Um, and then, okay, let's help you with that. Or, I can refer you to somebody who would be able to help you with that more. Um, and it's the same thing. Like if you feel like you need to come back again at some point, like your body's going to tell you, you know, you're, there'll be some kind of pain or you'll have trouble with that, your own neuromuscular reset that we've been working on. You just won't be able to get the same effect again. And that's usually your body's like, Oh, you just, you just need a little, uh, a reset. Um, get that neuro, the nervous system reset that I was talking about before. And then usually it's like, Oh, yeah. Okay. I just got too far removed from my personal practice, my self-care practice. Um, now I'm back on it. That's what I usually see. And they're like, okay, I can, I can do this again. Um, but you know, life happens to people. So sometimes they, they lose their footing, um, and they just need to get helped out again. But my goal is always like, can you do this for yourself? And then I always love it when people are telling me, Hey, I taught this to my mom or whatever. I taught this to my friend. Um, and they feel better too. So I would really love to, to see, people helping each other heal like as a community because there's only so much that we can do as a as a single person treating people for however long every day that we decide that we're going to do that right it would take quite a quite an ordeal to get this instituted culturally um i know (laughs) that uh i know that a lot of therapists have been saying come on we need to bring mindfulness into schools and relationship skills into schools and teaching kids what to do about trauma in schools and a little bit of that starting but it's pretty much only in certain schools that can afford it um and Mm -hmm. often short-lived and not really funded by the state uh and so thus we continue but i was thinking there's an opportunity with physical education Uh, Mm. being still Mm -hmm. a requirement in a lot of schools in the public schools uh, uh, would be interesting to see about if they could add some stretches that you could teach the kids to to take home to learn their own stretches and how to take care of their body i think um yoga would be a good way yoga okay yoga's yoga's you know more culturally uh available and people are open to it um and that incorporates mindfulness as well as movement and i think i mean yoga is very valuable for me Yes, I do like yoga a lot. I think you're right. I mean, I think yoga is starting to be more culturally accepted. I think the hard part is, is like it seems like everyone I know that it, uh, is in yoga seems to live in a city. So I'm really wondering <laughs> about how do we reach people in the rural areas who may see yoga as some sort of bizarre Eastern uh, Buddhist thing, which it's anti-Christian thing, and, which is or, what I hear sure, sometimes sure, in West yeah. Michigan. Or just yeah. weird or something. Yeah, I just think it's it's interesting as a culture that our entire co- economy is not only based off consumerism, but now our economy is based off people being unhealthy. And mm-hmm. yet we know how to help people be healthy, but you and I are helping people already when they realize that something is off, right? Mm-hmm. We're not even getting, pe- we're not even, we're somewhat preventative, but we're not even getting to the point of what could prevent people from having decades and years of terrible chronic pain in your case. And in my case, psychological chronic pain, which is also probably, they probably have both, honestly. It's just like, which one's larger during the day, mm-hmm. you know, which one are they noticing more? And that's where they end up in the physical therapist office or in a yep. psychotherapist office. So 
I, I really wonder, I think the good news about doing a podcast on this is that you and I are trying to share these things that, you know, people can learn to self-heal. There are methods out there, but yes, you do sometimes need a guide and we, you know, you can be that guide for people. I know you're starting to provide those services online to teach people about their own self-healing and their own bodies and, and bringing them through some of these exercises and, um, Therapy is regulated, so I can only do that in certain states uh, that I'm licensed in, um, although a lot of therapists are writing books, and I'm releasing a course. I'm going to probably release more courses just to kind of help people get educated so that they can do their own work wherever they are um, in this kind of changing world where we find ourselves uh, remotely connected. So. Yeah, I mean, it would be great, right, to get out of the sick care system and actually make it a, into a healthcare system, like what we call it. Yeah, I mean, we're just trying to get people to shut up, basically, is what it seems like from my perspective. Like, are you still complaining? All right, then we'll try something more. You're done complaining? All right, then we're good. Um, but yeah, we need to absolutely uh, just cultural shift, you know, let's let's value ourselves and our health before we start valuing money and these external gratifications and stuff like that. Um, but you know, I, I look forward to who's going to make those. I don't know. How, I don't know how to start doing those changes. The, the best I've got is, um, each individual that comes in front of me every day, I can just help them like take the next step on their journey and then see what, see where we go from there. Well, collectively, we have a lot of strength if we just start mm. with actually doing it ourselves and teaching mm. it and valuing mm. it. And 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 also, you know, and I was talking about therapists having trouble. Hey, I I just want to make sure I'm I'm in the same boat. I see myself oh. struggling with the same things. I get distracted. And mm. and so I'm I'm in the same boat of I need to get back on my practice. I need to get back in my healing. So I'm really glad that I, and I and I hope that we can all lift each other up and then collectively maybe I don't know maybe the young people will start to hear some of this stuff and start to shift the systems. Um, yeah. But in the meantime, Brandon, I know I'm going to put your link to your business in the show notes, which is called Step Forward Wellness. Correct. Mm -hmm. That's correct. And uh, people can contact you there and. Mm -hmm. um, people know how to reach me if they need something. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And at the bottom, one of the things that I like for, I would like for people to know too, is I put a lot of the stuff that I teach that's rather unique on a YouTube channel. So if you go to the website, you scroll down to the bottom, there's a little icon to go to the YouTube. So if somebody is like, I'm not so sure about this guy, but you want to try something out, you can try out a playlist of their focus on the neck, uh, mid back, shoulders, low back and jaw. Um, and you can see, try them out, see how it goes and see if you're, you can help your pain. And then if you can help your pain, um, but you still have some more stuff to work on, then that's where I come in. And if people can use some of that stuff and totally take care of their problem on their own, that's, that's fantastic. Just spread the word around so other people can do the same thing. That sounds great. I will actually put the links to both your website and your YouTube channel in the show notes. And I'm really looking forward to uh, interviewing you probably again, uh, because actually, according to my notes, we just kind of touched the surface of the iceberg. Um, yeah, there's more. <laughs> we didn't even get into the emotional body, the meridians and the Feldenkrais and the, yeah. all these sort of energy things that you've been noticing uh, in mm -hmm. in addition to your advanced studies. So I appreciate yeah. it, Brandon. I thank you so, so much for your time and I look forward to uh, talking to you more. Yeah, same here. And there you have it. 
This has been another episode of the Intentional Clinician Podcast. And like I mentioned earlier, if you're enjoying this content, please hit the subscribe button or share this with somebody you know. Especially with Dr. Junger launching his new business, I believe a lot of people are going to be needing his services or consultation. And therefore, check out his links in the show notes. If you are suffering from chronic pain, please go get a consultation from a local physical therapist or doctor in your area. Remember, the intentional clinician is information only, and the recording you just listened to consists of the personal opinions of Paul Krauss and his guest, and while these are based upon literature they have read and experience in their respective fields, they should not be viewed as the definitive opinion on this or any other subject. Listening to this podcast is not a substitute for treatment. If you are in a crisis, please dial 911 or the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Are you a young person of color feeling down, stressed, or overwhelmed? Text Steve, that's S-T-E-V-E, to 741741, and a live, trained crisis counselor will respond. If you are looking for counseling, remember that you can get counseling at this time, and do not hesitate to make an appointment with a local counselor in your area. If you are in the state of Michigan, you can make an appointment with the excellent clinicians at the Grand Rapids Office of Health for Life and the Trauma-Informed Counseling Center of Grand Rapids by visiting the website www.healthforlifegr.com. This is Paul Krauss, of course, the host, and I'm letting you know I'm releasing a course for parents of young adults about how to navigate the mental health system and how to work with their young adults in a very general sense and this will be available soon as soon as i have it the link will be in the show notes if you are looking for an emdria consultant i am now also an emdria consultant in training and am providing 15 of the 20 hours needed to become an emdria certified therapist right now as we speak i have two emdria consultation groups running and i might even start a third if there is a demand you can find out more about this online at counselingsupervisorgr.com or healthforlifegr.com or just send me an email and i'll get back to you remember you can support your local bookstore by shopping at www.bookshop.org you can order online from the comfort of your own home while supporting a local business near you Wherever you are, please join your local Mental Health Counselors Association. In Michigan, we have the Michigan Mental Health Counselors Association, which is working to make sure that quality mental health services continue to stay available statewide while increasing education, promoting best practices, and making sure that these professionals are accessible by the public. Hopefully in the future, we'll be helping integrate more into health clinics and schools even more than we already are. In Arizona, the Arizona Counseling Association also needs your help. So please get involved and at least pay the dues. There are a lot of different special interests that would love for people not to get therapy. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but if you've ever worked in the field of politics or lobbying, you know I am telling you the truth. So please get involved for advocating for this non-invasive intervention that is both proven to be extremely effective and helpful and works more on the preventative side in a non-violent or chemical way on the body. So check out the local counseling organization in your area. Thanks so much for listening. I hope that you all have a safe and peaceful week.
about